Hi, I'm Jade Siri Ramos. I am the producer of A Public Affair. Did you know you can find our show anywhere you get podcasts? Just search A Public Affair wherever you like to listen, and you'll never miss an episode. Six foot six above sea level. I grab my mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from underground. Good afternoon. You are listening to A Public Affair on Wart, W-R-O-R-T 89.9 FM in Madison. I'm Jessa Nicholson-Getz. I am filling in for Ali Muldrow here at A Public Affair. Today, we are talking with Jordan Ellenberg. He is a mathematician and professor of mathematics at the UW-Madison. He's also the author of Shape, the Hidden Geometry of Information, Biology, Strategy, Democracy, and Everything Else. He's joining us today to talk about the recent uh, Wisconsin Supreme Court decision regarding the legislative maps. Today's program is pre-recorded. We're doing this uh, Tuesday morning just after 9 a.m., so close to live, but we are not taking callers. If you have comments or questions, please email talk at wortfm.org. Good morning, Jordan. How are you? Uh, good. Happy New Year. You too. 2024, going to be a good year. So, um, obviously, we heard a little bit about your credentials from my intro, but tell us what tell us what you do for a living and how that relates to what we're talking about today. Well, I am a math professor at UW-Madison, just down the street from WORT. So I am uh, in the classroom every semester uh, teaching undergraduates, grad students, and mostly I teach them pure math. Like mostly I teach them uh, theorems and proofs and the basic facts of mathematics. I'm not usually, in fact, I'm never teaching them about gerrymandering or anything that relates to politics. And yet... Um, Lots of math is mixed in with this stuff. And so a lot of mathematicians uh, like me have sort of gotten involved with like learning about this uh, combined mathematical, political, legal issue over the last few years and nowhere more intensely than here in Wisconsin. Absolutely. And Wisconsin, in my view, is has occupied a space that I think is an extreme on the spectrum of what we see with gerrymandering. And that's just, you know, those are my words. But... So it, it's certainly a flashpoint, I guess, for this discussion. And we've been seeing these sorts of cases come out of a variety of state courts. And we've seen the United States Supreme Court kind of make decisions that cut both ways and with interesting members of the court making interesting decisions. But to back all the way up for a minute, let's talk about gerrymandering and what it is and why there's math involved. Well, if we really want to back all the way up, we have to go actually before the founding of the United States. I don't know if we want to go. No, nah, no. Nah, all right. So up, we make these districts, um, right? We draw some maps. <laughs> and there are rules. Right? There are rules about how we're supposed to do that. And uh, we've recently learned after a, what, 70 plus page opinion that the word contiguous means exactly what it's supposed to mean in a dictionary. <laughs> contiguous. Touching. Um, but we can get into that in a second. What I'm asking is... How is the way that these maps are drawn and what we're doing with our districts, how does that call into your area of expertise and how does it make math political? Sure. Well, the basics are this. I mean, in Wisconsin, uh, we have 99 members of the Wisconsin State Assembly. They represent 99 districts. So that involves this process 
of carving the state of Wisconsin up into 99 pieces. And already that's a geometric process, right? If you have a shape and you're breaking it up into smaller shapes, you're doing something geometric. Um, and of course, how those districts are drawn, who's in what district affects who gets elected. And you might very reasonably think it doesn't affect things very much. I mean, I think most people have gone through their lives never really thinking about the nature of the state legislative district they live in. I would say, actually, before I moved to Wisconsin in 2005, I would say I spent most of my life not being able to name my state legislator. I was just about to say that, that I think many people don't even know who their local rep is. I live in. So it is natural to think of this as something that, with all the political issues that we face, um, is not a big deal. And what we have learned, especially over the last 10 or 20 years, although this is not totally new, we have learned that it is a big deal. We have learned that the way you divide the state up into districts actually can have a huge effect on who's elected, who's sitting in the legislature, who's holding the majority, and who's making our laws. And part of the reason that it can have such a huge effect is because people have wanted it to have that effect. Correct. People who have an interest in the maps favoring a certain party have uh, have held the power to draw those maps and privilege their own party. And so um, in Wisconsin, we have had kind of a perfect storm of that, of unified government control by one party, um, leading to maps that are drawn explicitly to favor that party. And I want to say what I always it's very important to say this at the beginning of any such discussion at this time. In Wisconsin, in the state of Wisconsin, that happens to be the Republican Party. Yes. But I definitely don't want to convey the impression that this is a Republican problem. This is something that political parties, given the power to do, will do. If you look at the state of Maryland, if you look at the state of New York, you will see like pretty brutal gerrymanders drawn by the Democratic Party where it has the opportunity to do so. So I want to emphasize that this is a governance problem and it's a partisan politics problem, which in the state of Wisconsin happens to be a Republican problem, but that's sort of a factor of historical circumstance. And I couldn't agree with you more about that. To me, uh, what this is really a conversation about is how much we want people's individual votes to count in the matters of local and, and state government. And then obviously it, it goes on and spills over into our larger, more national elections. But to me... And and this is just my. But can I break in for one second? Oh, yeah. What word did you use there? Count. You're already talking about math, right? Yeah, I am already. That's you true. Want... Count. Yes. So what does it mean for a vote to count? The very word tells you that we're talking about a fundamental mathematical problem, and it is not obvious, right? It's obvious when we vote for governor what it means for a vote to count, because you literally count the votes, and whichever person gets more, they're Wins. the governor. Right. That's pretty simple. When you talk about do our votes count as we elect representatives in the legislature, it becomes much more complicated to understand what we mean by counting and what we mean by fairness. Well, and that's kind of this was, you know, in my head, what would just make sense, right? T setting aside the history of all of it is you just take a grid, you lay it down on the state. It, it, you know, it's a five mile by five mile square or whatever it works out. And that's how it goes. Why isn't it like that? And what would be wrong with doing it like that? I, I, I'm going to say what I often find myself saying in class. Love that answer. Great answer. Completely wrong. Correct. Great answer. Yes. <laughs> um, 
So the fact of the matter is that since the idea of geographic legislative districts were created, they have been intended to represent political communities. That's what they're for. And everybody agrees on that. So actually, what you just said, why don't we just draw a grid? Why don't we just like put a big sheet of grass, graph paper the size of Wisconsin, like on top of the state and sort of like see what the, see what the squares look like? Um, we don't do that because we've never done that. We don't do that because those squares would not represent real political communities and the people within that square would have nothing particularly in common with each other. Those lines would sort of cut across the middle of cities, the middle of counties, the middle of neighborhoods. Um, I think it makes sense, right, that Madison has representatives who represent parts of the city of Madison and speak for people who have some common interest. That's kind of, I mean, one thing you learn about this process, Jessa, is that there's no way to do it without taking into account all the factors, the mathematical factors, the political factors, and the legal factors. So, I mean, I think the, the thing that you talk about, why not just like draw straight lines across the grid, is something that sort of mathematicians have tended to suggest over the years, and people in politics have, have pointed out that that ignores the political reality of what districts are for. And so let me take a non-cynical view about that, because, of course, I have a lot of follow-up about, okay, political community, who's defining what a political community is, right? Like, and what if I'm being forced onto a team I don't want to be on just because I happen to live in a certain zip code? So I have, a, you know, there's parts of that that, like, you can have an instinctively cynical reaction to, right? However, I think there is a non-cynical way to view that, and that is to say local government makes, I mean, the city of Madison makes decisions about the city of Madison's zoning, the city of Madison's, you know, like ordinances, the city of Madison's water and their budget for public safety. And, you know, Dane County sets some of those things too. And so there are very real local governments that exist. And I agree with you that it would be strange if someone from Mount Horeb was trying to or, you know, was occupying space talking about what happens on State Street on Halloween because that's a, a very specific community issue and to say, you know, for example. So I, I understand certainly the idea that we have an interest in keeping cities and, and communities that are even grouped like that, you know, just as towns and villages and things, at least largely together. It seems as though it, it has gone far afield of that over the years though not just here in wisconsin but in in different places am i wrong in thinking that wait that what has gone far afield the, the, the of... way we draw these maps it, it hasn't been that non-cynical sort of purpose of okay let's honor the fact that there are certain local members of the community that should be put together because they have similar local interests right absolutely i mean and it varies state by state um, and there are some states where I would say the process is pretty non-cynical, just as you described. But, you know, to a first approximation, um, the process is done more cynically when it's put in the hands of the people who stand to directly benefit from it being one way or the other. And by that, I mean when it is in the hands of the legislators themselves whose election is at stake, um, they're, they're human and not only are they human, they're politicians, they're people whose entire lives are built around what do I need to do to get elected? And so it shouldn't come as any surprise right. 
um, that given the opportunity to do so and to do so, I mean, not only do they have the opportunity to do it, because by doing it, because by drawing the districts to preserve their majority, they create a situation where it's almost impossible for them to be, to be voted out. Correct. They can do it without any repercussions, right? They can do it without any accountability. Um, and that is a real problem. I mean, the way I always say it is it's like, you know, if you run a store like, yeah, kids are kids. They're going to steal candy sometimes. Maybe you don't put the candy like right by the door. <laughs> Maybe you have it by the cash register store instead, right? Maybe you make some tiny, modest effort to make it not so, so easy for people to commit the kind of malfeasance that they're naturally going to want to do. Well, and it, it's, you know, when you give someone like, hey, here's this tool that can guarantee you job safety if you wield it inappropriately, right? Like, so all you have to do, here's, you have all the authority here and you could make your life a lot more secure if you just made some decisions, but we're going to trust you not to do that. I mean, obviously, the and you've got, you know, people that are already running for office. So they have, again, this is my cynicism coming through. They've demonstrated an interest in holding power and uh, and acting, you know, and, and taking that sort of action. So Wisconsin, I, you know, I mean, listening to media that I consume, I mean, the Daily Podcast referred to Wisconsin as a democracy desert with what our maps looked like prior to this decision. Can you speak a little bit about if Wisconsin is, in fact, prior or it was prior to this decision, particularly egregious and how we got there? And then we'll kind of talk about what we're hoping we're going to see changes based on what what the court did on the 23rd. I, one thing you got to understand about me is I'm kind of a congenital optimist, so mm -hmm. I'm not going to say Wisconsin is a democracy desert. I am going to say that our legislative lines were some of the most egregiously gerrymandered in the in the country. And in some sense, that's one reason that a lot of attention has been paid here, because the issues are so clear. They're not very muddy. We know who drew the maps. We know because of court cases. Um, it's not like we have to infer that they were drawn with the explicit intention of giving one party political advantage. We know that because we have the memos. You know what I mean? It, it exists. There's no, that's that's not in question. Um, that said, um, there are checks and balances in place. And if you look at the U.S. Supreme Court decision, and now I'm, I recognize I'm talking to a lawyer, so I hope I don't get this wrong. Oh, but I mean, fine. But the, the U.S. Supreme Court decision, which declines to weigh in, on gerrymandered maps and said the U.S. Supreme Court doesn't have a place to sort of step in and interfere with the state legislative process, they explicitly said, well, one way for this to be dealt with, they, the, the U.S. Supreme Court, I think a lot of people read that, misread that decision or didn't read it carefully and said, oh, it says gerrymandering is okay. It absolutely doesn't say right. that. In fact, it says that gerrymandering is incompatible with democracy, but the justices say, it's the state court. We have no power to right. deal with it. It's not up to us. Too bad it's that way, but it's not our issue. Okay, but they explicitly say, you know, if this is really maybe if this violates state constitutions, and this is really for state courts to say that. So they, the U.S. Supreme Court explicitly asked our Supreme Court to weigh in on whether our maps were uh, were compatible with the Constitution of Wisconsin, uh, which our Supreme Court has now found that they are not. So, I mean, how did this happen? Um, we 
you know, what are the checks and balances, which I would say in Wisconsin were actually successful. The people statewide, not subject to legislative boundaries, have the power to elect a governor who will veto those yep. legislative maps. The people of Wisconsin did that. Those maps were vetoed. Um, the previous Supreme Court more or less enacted those maps over, over the governor's veto, which raises very complicated legal questions, yes. which maybe you can say something about. Um, but even so, I think we can agree, again, I'm relying on your legal expertise. Had there been a Republican governor and had those maps that we have um, been passed by the legislature and signed by a governor, I don't think we would have seen the decision that we had that we just no, saw. I, I think it would I, have been much I, harder to challenge those maps legally. So I think with the people of Wisconsin did exactly what the system gives the opportunity to do, uh, to elect a governor who would veto the maps. Now that, to be honest, should have been the end of it. That should have led to maps being drawn by a federal court if it had, as it had been in previous situations where there was a... Right. But even so, okay, that avenue being closed off, the people of Wisconsin had the opportunity statewide to elect new Supreme Court justices who were seen as more impartial arbiters of what the state constitution actually says. And the people of Wisconsin did that. So um, there were avenues and Wisconsinites have taken advantage of those avenues. There are other avenues we don't have, right? We don't in Wisconsin. Some states have said, boy, it is kind of crazy that the legislature, that the legislators have the power to draw their own maps. Maybe there should be a change in the state constitution that explicitly gives that power to a people's commission instead. Okay, in Wisconsin, we can't do that, right? We right. don't have that kind of independent uh, ballot initiative power that voters in, let's say, Michigan Ohio have that happens to be a feature of our state government which honestly there's there's many ways in which that contributes to good government too so I think it's it's complicated whether or not the people should have that power but the people of Wisconsin have used the democratic avenues that they have sure. so I wouldn't say it's a democracy desert that's a very long optimistic answer sorry no and I I appreciate I, I appreciate that it's interesting you know the the question of the checks and balances and the degree to which we have the ability as individual citizens to have ballot initiatives versus other states. I think that there are this maps issue was certainly one of two major issues that affected the outcome of the Wisconsin Supreme Court case. The other one being the Dobbs decision, uh, Dobbs v. Whole Women's Health from SCOTUS in 2022 that at led to the conclusion that, well, those of us that live in certain parts of the state got a little referendum on our ballot about choice uh, that meant virtually nothing, even though our state from every from every poll I see overwhelmingly was in support of the 1849 uh, ban to fall. And the individual citizens just didn't have the power to address that at the polls the way that Certainly we see in other states, I can't help but wonder if those two issues did uh, kind of converge into this one Supreme Court election to really empower people to show up for that and make sure that we were, well, I'm giving my politics away, but those of us that cared about showing up for that and, and correcting what we felt were wrongs, I think it really got people involved in local government and in showing up in a way that I'm not sure that we always have an interest in some of the more localized races, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, and let, I mean, let me put it another way. Let me put it in a in a sort of more politically neutral way, if I can. Is that I think it's pretty natural that in a situation where people feel the legislature, because of the structural biases and advantages the current majority has given itself, if people feel that the legislature has been captured, I think it's natural that that voters will try to create some counter to the legislature in any way that they can. And so you see that these Supreme Court races, and it's not just the most reasonable one, have not been close. No, right? They, right. I mean, Wisconsin is not a plus 10 Democratic state, and yet you see multiple times, like, liberal Supreme Court justice candidates absolutely thumping their opponents. Now, to be fair, it probably helps with their opponent. It's like always Dan Kelly, who is like it not does like a help. winner yes. on the stump. <laughs> I mean, he's not the world's greatest political campaigner. But, um, but you know, you are seeing elections that I think it's fair to say are not normal Wisconsin statewide elections in terms of. No, and uh, I would and say. I think, and I think, I think that is to some extent a reaction to what's happened in the legislature. And, but, you know, this you is asked just my just my brief observation on that i think that our supreme the wisconsin supreme court elections and this is a topic for another day but the discussion about elected judges versus uh, appointed judges the wisconsin supreme court elections the last several have been in my view highly politicized for what is allegedly a nonpartisan position and the lawyer in me dislikes that immensely because my favorite judges are judges who I have no idea what their politics are because they apply the law. Uh, but that's my soapbox. I cut you off. So you had said I had asked you something and you were going to talk and I probably lost that train of thought for you, but we'll see. Oh, yeah. There's one important point I want to make because you asked sort of like, well, what comes next? Like, how do, what does democracy look like in Wisconsin post this decision? And let's let's assume that we're going to have new maps. I think, you know, barring some kind of legal Hail Mary, I think that is going to be very likely the case. One important thing is that Republicans are very likely still going to hold the majority in the Assembly and sure. State Senate. So, I mean, one of the one of the math angles of this is that um, we can predict reasonably well, not exactly, of course, because people are people, our elections are elections, there are uncertainty, but the whole reason that we are able to assess how gerrymandered a map is, is that we can make some reasonable guesses based on polling, based on where people live, about what the effect of maps are going to be, right? Um, people are like, and this is one reason gerrymandering is so powerful right now, is that people are at this moment pretty predictable in their voting patterns. I mean, we could talk give a whole another hour <laughs> about the problems with that. but um, So... If, if a magic wand is waved and we have what I would consider fair maps tomorrow, the kind of maps that would be drawn by a panel of people who really didn't have a rooting interest in one party doing better or one party doing worse, um, I think it's pretty unlikely that Democrats would have a majority in either house. I think Republicans probably would be. It's, you know, we're a 50-50 we're a state, but right. Democrats are more concentrated in this state. Like, there's really no part of Wisconsin that is as Republican as the east side of Madison is Democratic or as parts of Milwaukee are Democratic. And what that means is that there are, you know, those voters are, in some sense, used up, right, in districts where, you know, 75, 80, 85% of folks are voting Democratic. And so um, the difference is this. I think under fair maps, first of all, 
Republicans are going to have to work a little harder, which I think is good. Yes. I think you ought to have to work for your seat. Um, and I also think that majority will be smaller. And I do authentically believe that's going to lead to a more functional politics in the state house. I do authentically believe that if you have to manage with a smaller majority, it means that all voices much more have to be taken into account. It's much harder for a majority leader to just say, my way or the highway, I want this thing. If a few of my members can't go along with this because their constituents hate it, doesn't matter, I can do it without them. Um, that all gets harder. It gets harder to run like a purely one party ship. Oh, I think that if the Federal House of Representatives 55, has run really well recently. I have not seen any indicia in the House of Representatives nationwide that there are problems when everyone gets more of an individual voice, keeping parties running smoothly. Don't don't see any problems there. Um, Kevin McCarthy has experienced none. <laughs> anyway, no. Um, so fair maps, right? Okay, but you would agree, right? You would agree oh, that it's been harder for Republicans to run like a purely Republican policy. They have had to get more operation from no they, they absolutely they have what, what's unfortunate is we're seeing people so fiercely divided that we're still having difficulty reaching across the aisle to work together in ways that i wish we would do more but that that's more of a national political issue than that you know than what we're talking about today so i won't take us on that tangent if people are just tuning in you're listening to a public affair on wort 89.9 fm madison i'm jessa nicholson getz filling in for ali muldrow and we're talking with jordan ellenberg jordan is a mathematician and professor of mathematics at uw madison he is the author of shape the hidden geometry of information biology strategy democracy and everything else and we've been chatting about Wisconsin's legislative maps and the recent Wisconsin Supreme Court decision that, you know, we're referring to as the fair maps decision. And so what I was going to ask you is when you're saying to have fairer maps or fair maps, what does that mean in this context? So we've talked about how the maps are gerrymandered and they tend to artificially create you know sort of pockets of political power maybe i'm paraphrasing here but what does it mean to make a map more fair as you as you're saying it yeah it's a great question and i think what i like to say is that there's no real definition of fairness there's more a definition of unfairness in other words there's no perfect map and some math problems right there's just an answer you're like this is the right answer wouldn't it, wouldn't it be great if i could just be like okay give me like 10 minutes of the blackboard I'll show you the perfect Wisconsin right. map. No, this is it's not that kind of problem, right? But what is true, and, and this is the way we tend to think of these things, is that I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna say some things we don't say before I say what we do say. We don't say, for instance, that a map is fair if it gives you the same proportion of people in the legislature as there were votes for that party. So we don't say, for instance, that, you know, I'll give you an example, Massachusetts pretty democratic state right it's about like i think it's about 60 40 60 democrats like 60 40 okay their congressional dis delegation their u.s i don't know how their state legislature looked but they're they're congress people nine democrats zero republicans right it's been all democratic since the 90s right is that because massachusetts is gerrymandered no it's because if you have a state that's 60 65 percent democratic it's actually hard to find a chunk of it that's majority republican so sure. the first thing i want to say is that the fact that 
the fact that Wisconsin is a 50-50 Democrat-Republican state, which it basically is, like pretty close, does not mean that under fair maps we would have exactly half Democrats and half Republicans. And can you say a little so bit what, more so, about why that is? Um, it's sort of for the reason that I said that every state has different geographic distributions of voters. And in Wisconsin, you have a lot of Democratic voters, but a lot of them are in districts uh, like mine, Sheila Stubbs district, where, um, you know, a, a Republican would have had a hard time coming in second right. in my district. Right. So, I mean, it's uh, there are not a lot of Republicans there. And so a lot of those Democratic votes are used in districts where they are compiled, where Democrats are compiling huge majorities. Um, and so those folks in my district, um, you know, they're in my district, so they're not voting in closer districts, like, you know, elsewhere in Southern Wisconsin or something like that. So, um, and that's not, that is not gerrymandering. Sure. That's just people like living where they happen to live. Um, and we see that all around the country. It is just not true, whether there's fair maps or unfair maps. We don't see what's called proportional representation, where the proportion of folks in the legislature from a certain party is equal to the percentage of voters who voted for that party. Um, there are countries that run their legislatures that way, but we don't. Sure. And so we can have an argument about whether we should, but we don't. And so given that and sort of given the idea that, yes, there are going to naturally be areas that, you know, have different concerns. What are we looking at in terms of as someone goes about redoing the Wisconsin maps? And that's a big question mark as to what exactly is going to happen next there. And we can discuss why that is. But as these maps are are redrawn, what are we going to see in terms of changes other than, and I guess this is a little bit of me, part of the way that this challenge came to be brought and came up uh, to the Wisconsin Supreme Court is there are requirements that are, in in my view, and certainly in Justice Karofsky's view, who wrote the majority opinion for this decision, uh, there are requirements constitutionally that have definitions. And the first of those is that a, a district is to be contiguous. And the way that this all sort of got here this time, right, is there was a legitimate question as to whether or not something was contiguous, or at least that was the argument. And the court, as part of this decision, said, no, 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 we mean it. There's not an exception to being contiguous. Contiguous means what we think it means. And they cite to Black's Law Dictionary and go through all of that. But so that, you know, that's one thing that the Constitution requires. And so that that's how we got to this challenge. What happened that you would draw something that was, you know, and again, like to lay people, you hear that this is the, I mean, literally the first 15 pages of the opinion are talking about the word contiguous, right? How come, how did that happen from a map drawing perspective? That something that we all kind of common sense feel like, well, I get it. They're all supposed to be together. Like what went wrong? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it sounds like common sense, but until the beginning of last year, right? You could go visit the town of Madison. And if you look, where's the town of Madison? Right. It's like it was like 23 separate yep. parcels like scattered as an archipelago like within the city. So um, how did that I actually don't know how that happened, but like somehow it happened. Right. There are sort of like weird uh, non-contiguous things. So, I mean, so, OK, historically, I don't know the answer to your question. I don't know, like, why the districts were as non-contiguous as they were. But I think it's very interesting that 
I think a lot of people are going to, you know, just reading the headlines think, oh, the Wisconsin Supreme Court decided that partisan gerrymandering is unconstitutional in the state of Wisconsin. No. Well, they most definitely did not decide that. No, that we issue didn't was not decide even brought that. before the court. <laughs> so it was brought, the challenge was brought on these very narrow grounds. Well, right, because the second sort of legalistic argument is there's another constitutional requirement that the district be drawn as compactly or in a a manner as compact as possible. And I'm paraphrasing that. I probably should quote exactly compactness. I think it's as practicable. Thank you, as practicable. And it actually is important, right, because as as compact as possible means literally the little square that we talked about. Right. As, As practicable. It just leaves you an immense amount of wiggle room because you're like, you know, a judge is going to have to decide what counts as practicable or not. Well, and that was exactly what I was going to say is the lawyer in me is like, so that's a clause that just means nothing. Like that just I suppose that we can obscenity that and say like, oh, I know it when I see it. If there's this one drop of District 20 way up north and the rest of it's down south, then no, it probably could have been done better. But when you look at sort of the considerations on a more micro level and more practically, I I think there's a lot of art in that as I understand it. Yeah, but I mean, I feel like I wish you guys could see like how hard Jessa is rolling her eyes, like as she just uh, was <laughs> saying that. But like, that's why judges exist, right? The law is not math. So I mean, you say like, oh, like it's going to be like obscenity. I know it when I see it. Like, yeah, that's why judges exist, right? Isn't it? Because like the law is never going to give you exact answers because the law is not math. The law is going to sort of establish some principles and then in the end there's going to be hard cases and it's always going to come down to some judge somewhere being like come on like this this you did this that's okay but this come on too much a bridge too far that that is how the law works no and you're you're absolutely right it is it's just in terms of contiguous like argument one at least that word has a common definition that you would think people could deal with as practicable, as compact as practicable is is a very squishy phrase. And what feels practicable to one group of people with one set of interests may not feel so practicable to another set of people. And that's where I think that becomes a difficult legal decision to make is why isn't something practicable? Um, Like that's there's a lot of you can that word's doing a lot of heavy lifting. But I want to I want to come back because I didn't really I got a little distracted. I didn't quite answer your original question of what do we mean by fair? And I would say, like, what we mean, at least what the mathematicians tend to mean by fair is. The maps have the properties they would have if they were drawn by somebody who didn't care who won. Right now. But of course, how can you know that? Right. I mean, that's that's sort of this counterfactual. And, and this is why we've built up this incredible apparatus of simulation or we can generate tons of random maps made by a computer, which we can look at the code and see that the computer is not secretly putting its thumb on the scale for one party or another. And then we can see like, oh yeah, if you generate tons of random maps, if you ask the computer, just make lots of random maps of Wisconsin that are contiguous, that are compact, that look nice, that don't break county boundaries. Um, they don't look like the maps we have. And that's how we know the map we have is is unfair. So that that's that's our sort of working definition of what fairness looks like that it looks like you know roughly like the maps look when they're drawn by a non-partisan actor and i think what we're gonna have i think the most likely outcome of wisconsin 
is that we are going to end up having maps drawn by a nonpartisan actor, drawn by a court or drawn by a special master or something like that. I think what's going to happen is the legislature is going to pass something. Governor Evers is going to veto it. Um, that's going to trigger the adoption of some map which is contiguous and which because it was not drawn in a locked room by party by legislature yep it's going to be more it's going to be more fair than the one we have now but it's sort of a funny outcome right because it's not going to be more fair because the supreme court said it had to be more fair it's going to be more fair simply because it was not drawn by somebody who was trying to make it unfair but to me that's a good outcome it is a good outcome. Now, I will say that the pushback you get is, well, the courts shouldn't be the ones drawing our maps. Our legislature should be drawing our maps. To which I say, well, I agree, but then let's all do our jobs. Then, like, we have to well, we have to follow the rules then. Like, let's draw some maps that are workable. And <laughs> but, but first of all, if you say the legislature should be drawing our map, you should say that, as with all other legislation, the legislature should be passing legislation that a governor can sign. And Correct. if they can't, then they're not doing their job, right? I, and yes. historically in Wisconsin, it has always been the case that when the legislature and the governor cannot agree, and it's not like that's never happened before, then it gets punted to a court. Like, that's not our first option. Our first option is to have some cooperation between legislature and governor. But, like, if we can't have that, a court draws the maps, and that's what we've always done. So this this kind of... The, the situation we have now is a departure from many decades of Wisconsin political history. Well, and what people... We're going back to what we have always done in Wisconsin. Yeah. And people often, I mean, I get that question just in various aspects of things. Well, do you think it's right that courts are making these decisions? And I'm like, well, folks, you know, courts are where people go when there are legal disputes. And so we don't, like, people don't run to the courthouse before there's been a dispute. You go to the courthouse at the end of realizing that that's the only way to get an answer to a disputed issue. So the whole reason that we end up with these challenges in courtrooms in the first place is that our legislature has not been able to do this in a way that is dispute free and so the courts are the avenue to challenge it you know and so that that's something yeah. that i always because people over and over again and that's more of a national issue but well do you think it's right you know i mean that came up during the 2020 election a lot for me as well where people are like well do you think that all of the state courts that are making decisions about how pandemic voting is are you comfortable with that and my response is Number one, well, yes, because that's literally what the constitutional requirements are. So, yes, I'm totally comfortable with my state defining the rules for our elections because that's exactly what's supposed to happen. Uh, but number two, the reason that we end up asking, you know, the seven justices on the Wisconsin Supreme Court to talk about this is this has been an ongoing source of dispute. And it, there's been a veto. There, like, And so people, I think... Right. I, you know, and look, let's 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 wander off into political fantasy land for a moment. It's a new year. We can always imagine everybody <laughs> turning over a new leaf for 2024. Here's what could happen. I mean, if the legislature really doesn't want to roll the dice on the map a court is going to draw, it's in their hands. They could draw a map that Governor Rebirth would sign and that would not be a Democratic gerrymander. Right. I think that if uh, I think that if the legislature were to draw a map that sort of passed reasonable tests of partisan fairness i would i what do you think i guess my guess would be that the governor would sign it what do you think or do you think the governor wouldn't sign no i think i think evers would sign it i do i think evers would sign it if there it were within the realm of reason i think he would i don't think anyone's let's have that let's have that be like our 
2024 resolution that all everybody in the state house like you know they didn't stay out late drinking they all got a good night's sleep they woke up feeling refreshed and we're like <laughs> maybe we should just maybe we should just do this in-house we'll do this in the capital and like get it done map the governor let's sign. order some pizza <laughs> So, so I guess let me, you know, we've been having this conversation for almost an hour and I didn't ask a really obvious question and I should have, and nor did I talk about the requirements. Population, obviously, of districts matters when we're drawing maps, too. And so as we've been having this conversation, have I neglected to talk to you about populations of areas and how that affects this? Right. So, I mean, right now. Um, it is a requirement and it's actually, you know, we said that in many ways the federal government doesn't step in and tell states what they can do, but they do in one important way, which is that the districts do have to be the same size. And that's not a Wisconsin constitutional requirement. That's the United States government, uh, saying you can't have like one district with all the people you don't like. And then like 98 (laughs) districts. We're just going to create Australia, the original prison colony of Australia. We're just going to make Oshkosh be that, and then everything else is going to be different. But, you know, (laughs) we say that like it's obvious, but the fact that that's true is the result of a Supreme Court case from, I think, the 1950s. It was either the 50s or the 60s. So it's new, right? And until then, states definitely did that. This was the case about Alabama, and Alabama absolutely had a case where each county had a representative, had a representative, and the sort of very small, all white or almost all white yeah. rural counties each had a represent, representative, and then you know the city of Birmingham would like have its right. own, you know. So I mean, to us, to modern people, we look at it and say like, well, that's obviously unfair. Well, it wasn't so obvious at the time. The Supreme Court had to step in, and we had had some of the same arguments we have now, where we say, why is it the U.S. government's business? The legislature of Alabama should decide how the legislature of Alabama is apportioned. It's been given this power. And if they and their wisdom sort of choose to have, you know, a lot of really small, almost all white districts, and then a few really big, all black districts, I I guess that's the power they've been given. So they should be allowed to do that. Right. I mean, so, um, so the discussions around it were not that different from the discussions that we're having, uh, Today. today but as of now as of now it's like u.s supreme court precedent that we would not be allowed to have legislative districts of different sizes uh could that change i would hope not but you know you don't really know like what could be what precedents could be revisited by the u.s supreme court uh, what else are for those of us that aren't math people? What are math aspects of this that I haven't asked you about that you think people should be on the lookout for? Sort of the geometry of drawing this, or you know. So I have a few, some of which I've touched on. One is this issue that proportional representation is not the same as fairness, and that's politically important because I think on some level. I think you see a lot of Democrats in the state saying like, oh, this is it. Republicans hold a majority in the legislature because of gerrymandering. Without gerrymandering, Democrats are going to have a majority. And you see the same thing coming from the right saying like, oh, this is Democrats trying to seize the majority. I think they're both wrong. I think that under fair maps, Republicans are probably still going to have a majority, but a smaller one. Uh, I mean, it'll depend on election by election. Democrats will have a fighting chance, which is like very reasonable. But uh, it will be an uphill battle for Democrats to take control of either chamber. So that's one important thing. Uh, 
Important thing too, from a mathematical perspective is, I think traditionally we think of gerrymandering as this process of drawing very weird looking complicated yeah. districts that like move here and there and like you know pick up weird pockets of voters in order to achieve a certain goal um and i think historically that is what gerrymandering looked looked like but that's mostly because people weren't just weren't that good at it we didn't have the computational tools to do it effectively now if you want to gerrymander the hell out of a map and you also want the districts to have very nice pleasing, nice oblong elliptical shapes or whatever, you could do that. You could just ask your computer to do that. Right. Um, and you will get a very gerrymandered map. And that's what we have in Wisconsin. If you look at our assembly map, it doesn't look weird. You don't see weird snaky octopus-like districts. The districts look pretty normal, but it is very strongly gerrymandered. So I think that's one thing we have to let go of, this idea that the mathematical signature of gerrymandering is are these weirdly shaped sure. districts. That's just no longer true. Well, and that makes sense given the advance of technology. I mean, you, yeah, there's just a lot more data available right. to then put together and think about. And I think the law has taken some time to catch up with that reality. I think a law for a while was in this, you know, was relying on, you know, this famous thing that Sandra Day O'Connor wrote in 1985 in one of the or big U.S. Supreme Court decisions, just basically saying, like, is it really that big of a deal? Like you gerrymander, like you get a little bit of an advantage, it fades out quickly. I think that was true when Justice O'Connor wrote it. And, and, I don't think and it's, it's changed. Anymore. Yes. I completely agree with that. I think that, and the law is notoriously slow to adapt to technology of any type uh, or how it changes the way that we do life basically on a day-to-day basis if people are just tuning in you're listening to a public affair on wort 89.9 fm madison i'm jessa nicholson getz filling in for ali muldrow and we're talking with jordan ellenberg jordan is a mathematician and professor of mathematics at uw madison he is the author of shape the hidden geometry of information biology strategy democracy and everything else he's joining us today to talk about the recent uh wisconsin supreme court decision regarding the legislative maps today's program is pre-recorded. We're doing this uh, Tuesday morning just after 9 a.m., so close to live, but we are not taking callers. If you have comments or questions, please email talk at wortfm.org. So I have a mapping math question for you that is not Wisconsin-specific, but I'm thinking you are probably someone that's going to know the answer. Nationally, we've seen uh, the state Supreme Court of Colorado and now uh, a decision out of the executive branch of Maine um, stating that they're not going to put Donald Trump on the ballots in those states. And for Colorado, at least it was the primary. Let's assume that such decisions were to be carried forward and that there are at least some you know, there are four states in the country that don't allow the, the man to be on the ballot. What does that do to the number 270 for electoral math? So first of all, OK, actually, first of all, before I answer the question, just imagine that if that had been like Doug LaFollette's last act in office, wouldn't that have been hilarious? Yes. Doug LaFollette was like, OK, my last thing. Well, one more thing. <laughs> Mic drop. OK, but I, that, that's the instant thing I imagined when I read that thing about the main secretary of state. But OK, um. So first of all, I know in Colorado, and I'm not sure about Maine, but I think in Maine too, the entire question about was whether he could appear on the primary yes, ballot, correct. right? There's, so there's no question yet as to whether 
he's barred from the general election ballot, I think. Again, I'm saying this gingerly because I'm not the lawyer in this conversation. No, but, that that's accurate. Um, I was I was offering a hypothetical on let's assume that he gets yeah. barred from the <sighs> Yeah, okay. Um so okay, now I feel embarrassed because you said you thought I was gonna know and I actually <laughs> don't know. I assume that there is so what if I think if no candidate wins an outright majority of electoral college votes, like when does it go to the house? That's my question. Like what triggers that? I don't is know it, the it, answer is it to only that. If there's a tie <laughs> or if it's like, all right, we're just going to both be here not knowing the answer to this question. So this is what um, I like to do when I fill in is I like to come and talk to educated people and not prepare that. <laughs> that that's okay. what I know. <laughs> I, I suppose, the, I suppose the question would come to, and Colorado and Maine are also, you know, probably likely Democratic states in 2024. Right. Anyway, but I guess, I mean, you would have some immeasurable number of complicated questions where if there were a state where one candidate who a lot of people wanted to vote for weren't on the ballot, um, God knows, right? Would the electors from that state be under pressure, not to submit there but i mean uh, do we have to think about this i was in such a good mood <laughs> okay no that's fair enough i fair i just was i always am interested in those sorts of things because i understand virtually no math including electoral math so i i these are things that i think about and i agree that we have a happy topic today which is things are going to hopefully be more fair where we live and that's always good news. And so we can focus on that. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, thank you so much for coming to talk to us. Tell us a little bit about your book before we sign off for the, for the day. Oh, yes. And my most recent book is called Shape. It's all about geometry and like every possible aspect of that word. So one big chunk of it is about our first slug in our assembly map. So I'm, I've never been more happy for a big chunk of a book I wrote to become obsolete <laughs> uh, as it was just made. But there's a lot about the spread of pandemics. There's a lot about AI. There's a lot about like, um, you know, the crazy history of like geometry throughout. That. I mean, I kind of write about everything I get excited about writing about. So it's a big uh mishmash but uh there's a lot about checkers there's a lot about like the sort of history of man versus machine and checkers nice. which is a topic that i find endlessly fascinating so um yeah you can get it at any of our great local independent bookstores here in madison well i would recommend that again the title of that is shape the hidden geometry of information biology strategy democracy and everything else that is written by our guest today jordan ellenberg he is a mathematician and professor of mathematics at the university of wisconsin madison uh you've been listening to a public affair on wart w-o-r-t 89.9 fm in madison this is jessa nicholson getz filling in for ali Maltro. if you have comments about today's program because it was pre-recorded and we couldn't take calls please email us at talk at wartfm.org. That's talk, T-A-L-K, at W-O-R-T-F-M dot org. Our team today was Steve on reception, John engineering, Jade producing, and Shali doing the news direction. Thank you so much for your time, Jordan, and thank you folks for listening. Have a great day. With information that will never be reported. Disregard the mainstream, media distorted. We come and listen and support. 